Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, I never want to start service without just um, giving some people some context. This Sunday, today, is Palm Sunday. And what Palm Sunday really represents is Jesus' triumphal entry as king of the Jews, the king of kings. Now, what's so interesting about this is this is the week, a week before he dies, a week before his crucifixion. And so uh, most Christians on this, su- uh, this Sunday will celebrate just the, Jesus fulfilling the promise of coming as king. And so what I want to do today is I just want to teach on Palm Sunday. And not only teach on Palm Sunday, but I, I hope this is a, a fresh message for you that you would hear it for the first time almost, and it would pierce your heart and it would change your life. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, now I pray that this would do something in you. It would waken you up to really what God wants to do in your life. Now, title of my message for all you Lord of the Rings nerds, and now I can say that because I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd, okay? We watch it every Christmas, all three movies, love it, okay? Uh, Is the title of my message is Return of the King. Return of the King. Now, Return of the King, uh, you may be saying, hey, are you stealing that from Lord of the Rings? No, no, no. They borrowed it from the Bible. We're just taking it back. Does that sound good? Now, here's what it shows you in Matthew 21, where Jesus uh, comes as king. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing uh, picture. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, uh, Jesus sent two disciples to say to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Why a donkey? Why not a horse? Why not an ostrich, maybe? Why a donkey? Here's why it is a donkey. Culturally, uh, if you're coming into a, a city uh, as a king and you were, had a horse, you're declaring war. But if you came on a donkey, you were declaring peace. Jesus was declaring peace at this moment. I'm coming to bring peace to your mind. I'm coming to bring peace to your soul. I'm coming to bring peace to relationships, peace between you and God most of all. Oh, what an amazing thing. I just, he came as a servant king. I don't know many kings like that. I don't know any kings like that. That's why I, I didn't grow up in church. And so even when I read Palm Sunday messages, I sometimes want to pause real quick and go, man, you could have came any way, but you came this way. It just makes me so thankful. So he came on a donkey and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. That's from Zechariah 9. It's a prophecy fulfilled of Jesus coming on a colt. It's an amazing thing. The disciples went out and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Stop. Why are they doing this? What is this moment signifying? Well, if you go back to even 2 Kings 9, you see Jehu become king. They take their cloaks and put it on the ground. Picture this real quick. Jesus is on a donkey, and he is riding the donkey. People are taking their jackets off, putting it on the ground. They're taking branches, putting it on the ground, and Jesus is riding on these things. Why? They're making sure that everybody knows the king of the Jews has arrived. The king of kings is here. There, there, there's, there's no guessing work on what's happening. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at this thing, I'm like, Lord, as I start my day, may I lay the things on the ground that I'm supposed to lay on the ground? May may I lay my worries? May I lay my own agenda? There's something about taking what is yours that never was and laying them before the king. It's it's the red carpet appearance for Jesus. They're letting everybody know, hey, the king has arrived. And you got to remind yourself every day, the king has arrived. The king has arrived in your life. Peace has arrived. Victory has arrived. The promises have arrived. Those are all things the enemy wants to steal from you. Let's keep going. Now, as he goes on, he goes, uh, the trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds uh, that went before him, and they followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Oof! Now he starts shouting, here's our king, our, our God saves. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? Stop. 
Now, I, I thought about doing a couple different messages this week. I thought about maybe we could learn from the donkey. Uh, a lesson from a donkey is what I was thinking about doing. And all of you are thankful I didn't preach that one, okay? Another one I thought about doing was uh, thinking about just laying down our garments. That was another one. But the more and more I, I read and studied uh, this moment on Palm Sunday is I saw this unique thing that I've never seen before. And it's just simply this. You read all four Gospels, you'll find this story in all four of them. The, this story is found in John in chapter 12. That's pretty early in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, because there's 21 chapters. Almost half the book is dedicated to Jesus' triumphant injury and his last week on earth. Almost half of the book. He was alive for 33 years. His ministry was three years. But for some reason, the gospel writers knew something we didn't know. For some reason, the gospel writers had the, the breath of God penned to paper, writing on what God wanted to write in their eyewitness accounts to show who God was. I'll show you this. It's an amazing thing I found. Uh, the book of John, almost half is dedicated to the triumphant entry and to his crucifixion. So basically, uh, his last week, uh, another one, two-fifth of Matthew is dedicated to his last week on earth. Three-fifth of Mark is dedicated to his last week on earth. And a third of Luke. So if, his, if the gospel writers, if the Lord wanted us to uh, really understand what was important to him, man, he left a big chunk of scripture for us to understand this last week is extremely important for you and I to understand what happened and why it happened. So let's look at two things today that happened right after Palm Sunday. And let me put it this way. Let's look at the two things that happened when Jesus became king. What was his first act as king? What did he teach as king? Let's look at it again. What was his first act and what was he teaching the whole time? Because there's something he was teaching over and over again that I want you to catch today. And then I want you to catch the unique reason of what his first act was as king. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. And Lord, this Palm Sunday may not just be some rhythmic thing. Oh, it's another Palm Sunday. I've been going to church. No, may it be a brand new teaching. May, may there be something fresh about it. May there be something powerful about it. Holy Spirit, breathe on your scripture. May it pierce our hearts. May it set us free. May it do what it's called to do. Oh, Lord, we love you. We need you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. And everybody said? Amen. All right, sweet. Let's, uh, let's look at this real quick. I have two points. That's it. The king's first act is my first point. The king's first act. So, so Jesus is now king. He's being declared king and he came on a cult. And now again, uh, what an interesting thing, he came as a, a, a God who brought peace, but his first act is far from peace. His first act, I would say, is actually an act of war. He goes and makes a whip and he clears the temple. But do you know that for you to have peace and for me to have peace, there needs to be war? There needs to be war against the things that are stealing from you? Do you need to be war declared on shame, war declared on bondage, war declared on broken mindsets, war declared on the enemy saying, no longer will you uh, lie to my people? Because here's what I know about lies. They don't have to be true to be powerful. We, we buy into so many lies of this is what Christianity is. We buy into so many lies of who we think we are from different things that people have said. And we live that lie instead of actually living a truth that actually would set us free. So let's look at this amazing act. Again, you'll find this, this act in all four Gospels. It's the clearing of the temple. Now, the first three Gospels, you'll find it right after when Jesus uh, is declared king, uh, his triumphant entry. Now, in the, the Gospel of John, you'll find it in John 2. It's kind of weird. Like, why is it so early in the Gospel of John? One thing you need to understand about the Gospels, is they're not chronologically written perfectly. John, they say, scholars, is, wrote it so early as a symbolic region, a, re a reason, almost to kind of show people that Jesus was king. They want, he wanted people to know that right away as he's telling the story. But the other three gospel writers in the Synoptic Gospels, the similar Gospels, they wrote it right after his triumphant entry. So let's look at this. Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for a sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Stop. 
Now let's, I want to cut down, I want to kind of break down a little bit about just what's happening here. Now the temple, what did it look like? It had an outer courts. Now the outer courts uh, is where you and I could hang. It was where the Gentiles would hang. The, they call it the court of the Gentiles. Now if you were a, a Jewish woman, you could go a little closer. There's the inner courts. And if you are a Jewish man, you can go closer than the Jewish woman. If you were a Jewish priest, you go even closer. So the, 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 the goal was to get to the center where the presence of God was. That's the goal. Now I don't know about you, but I feel really gypped. I feel really put on the outside that I was uh, put on the outside of the outer courts of the Gentiles because of I, was, I was a Gentile. Let me share a story with you real quick. Um, when I was in L.A., I got set up on a date with Kelly Clarkson. Shout out, Kelly, if you're still there. It's me. I'm married now. You're married. Congratulations. We all made the right decision. But I got set up on a blind date with uh, Kelly Clarkson. Uh, it was after a concert. It was at the Gibson Amphitheater. I think that was, that, that was the name of it back then. It's a Universal City Walk area. And they had the, everybody in the room for the concert, which was really cool to be in. Then they had a backstage thing that you had to pay for where a bunch of fans, like about 100 fans, got a meter, sign autograph. But then there was one other room in the very back, and it was the exclusive green room. You had to know somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody to get in there. There was about 17 people in there. Reba McIntyre was in there. I was in there. Uh, some of the band was in there. And of course, Kelly was in there. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to lie. I felt like one of the coolest people on the planet at that moment. I was like, I have arrived. I am at the inner part of this thing. Only people paid thousands of dollars to get an autograph. I mean, all this food for free. And I'm going to go on a date with Kelly Clarkson. I'm on the inner courts, if you will. If it, you know what? It felt right. It felt right in my soul. Now, let me tell you something real quick. Christianity, that's what we desire. We desire not to be on the outside. Let me put this, this is, this is a soul craving of ours. Nobody desires to be left out. Nobody desires to not be called for the party. Nobody desires to, to be the one that's not chosen. It, this, is, this is an inner working of us. Can I, can I show you something real quick? There are three things that, that God tells Jesus uh, Twice, we get to see a conversation between God the Father and Jesus the Son twice in the Gospels. It's the only two conversations we see. And here's what he says. You are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. I don't know about you, but when people would come to the temple, you know what they wanted to hear? Who am I? Am I saved? Am I your son? Am I your daughter? Do you love me? And are you pleased with me? This, Jesus is coming to the temple to answer our ultimate soul craving. His first act as king is say, I'm sick of this religious thing. I'm sick of this culture thing. This culture thing is creating uh, this stupid man way, if I could put it this way, that, that basically says religion is the only way to get to Jesus, and to get to God. And God goes, no, I'm the way. Religion is work your way. Jesus says, I am the way. If you're somebody you just never feel good enough, you never feel chosen, you, you just, you've been struggling with that, I want to hear real quick. That's the reason why the king of kings came to the temple and said, I'm not only king of just everything, I'm the king of the temple. I'm the king of, of relationship. I'm the king of restoring. I don't leave anybody out. You know what's interesting? Read this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and healed them. Do you know that the blind and lame weren't actually allowed to come in there? That was not normal. So what, what happened, the first thing that happens is the blind and lame, first of all, because they can infect people, blind people, they're poor, it costs money. People ripped people off to get in. They had to pay. No, but Jesus said, I'm changing all of it. The ones that were on the outer courts, you can come meet me face to face now. Another thing that you need to know about the temple, it says two distinct things, two distinct things. One is, is that the temple was known uh, where you would meet God's, uh, meet with God in his presence. Basically a face-to-face -face personal relationship. That was the big deal about the temple. People would travel from all over to the temple for that reason. The second one is where sacrifices were made. That's where you made the sacrifices. 
So because of those two distinct things, uh, they would come and they would have to buy a sacrifice because if you're traveling from real far, you're not going to bring a goat or a sheep the whole way and sacrifice so you buy it. The other thing is you'd have different money currency. So there are actually less currency exchanges happening in the temple. Now, here's why Jesus was so frustrated. First of all, it was good to actually make a sacrifice. You should never come empty-handed to Jesus. That's not the, and that's what's so interesting about the enemy. He takes what, what, what God intended and just a little off. God's a creator and the enemy's a counterfeiter. And so the things that were supposed to be done, they were just being done in a way that was stealing from mankind and stealing from relationship with God. So the money exchangers, picture this, the, they were in the inner courts. It would be like us on a Sunday morning in our sanctuary, if we were in the theater, and instead of us worshiping and singing, you would walk in and you would see somebody saying, uh, literally, okay, uh, what kind of money you got? Oh, okay, you're from, you got some euros? Well, here's some uh, cash dollars now, and now you can actually go give money. That would be pretty distracting. Can you imagine uh, goats and sheeps literally being, um, uh, goats and sheeps literally being uh, sold inside the sanctuary? It would be distracting. You couldn't actually have a real conversation with somebody. It would be so loud. Picture like a Pike Place market in Seattle. That's what they turned the, the sanctuary of God into. So what does Jesus do? He clears it out. He literally comes to this thing. You look at all four stories. One is you see him make a whip. He flips the tables. He drives out the thieves that are stealing from God, stealing from mankind. He drives these things out and he says, my house will be known as a house of prayer. People always ask me, when, does, when do you see in the Bible where Jesus declares that he's God? All over. This is one of those moments. Who else is going to say, this is my temple? Look at the scriptures. This is my temple and my temple is going to be known as a house of prayer. Now, if you're reading this uh, as a religious person, you just read past the house of prayer. So, so when I come to the house of God, it's a ha, 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 ha. No. House of prayer is a house of relationship. When you pray to God, is it changing you from the inside out? Because that's what prayer is supposed to do. Prayer should get into the inner workings of your soul. When you pray, it should touch on things. God, I, I've been stressed. I've been worried. And when you pray, it should actually be doing this. Just don't give God lip service. Actually come and actually have a relational conversation with him. Some of you think you don't know how to pray. Just talk to God. Talk about what frustrates you. Talk about what you're excited about. Talk about things that you need. These are all things. That's what a house of prayer, it's coming to meet God and having conversation with him, but also allowing him to speak to you through his word. Now, as we look at this, I, um, I was single. Let's look at a, a, a second part of this illustration. So uh, Jesus came to be king of the temple. He took the people from the outside, anybody who just didn't feel like they were picked so they could actually get on the inside. People who are far from God, like myself, he did this to display a physical showing of what's going to happen to the spiritual, that I could actually come to know God. But the second thing he did is he came to rearrange the temple. He came to rearrange the temple. Now, well, let's look at a simple illustration. I hope this makes sense. Um, I was single for a while before I met Rachel. I uh, lived in an apartment in Burbank, a couple different ones. And I never, ever really decorated. I never even had anything on the thing. And l let's be honest. Do you ever walk into somebody's house and go, I would never have decorated this way? Like, you're like, oh, who... Who did you pay to uh, do this? And then you're like, you know, me, like, oh, do you love what we did in the place? You're like, love it. But really in your head, you're like, I would do this, I would do that, I would get rid of this. Have you ever been to a place where there's just a ton of stuff everywhere? Like, literally, like, I mean, like, like, do these people collect everything? Um, Rachel and I had, uh, when we moved, we declared we'll no longer have a ton of stuff in our house when people walk in. A couple things on the wall, it's gonna have a nice flow, and we decide, hey, we're gonna rearrange our furniture. Well, Jesus walks into his house. Pause. Can you imagine me walking to your house? and literally flipping your table, throwing your couch out? That would be weird, yes? Well, what Jesus is saying is, who are you to design my house? You think you can design God's house better than God can? And so he says, this is my house. I'm going to rearrange the furniture. I'm going to create a new flow. Things that are stopping relationship, things that are stealing from relationship, I'm going to get rid of all of it so this can actually be what it's called to be. 
and it's called to be a, a house of prayer. Let me, let me read you another verse real quick before we go to the next point. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Woof, you do not belong to yourself. Another way to say it, you're not the king. He's saying, don't you know? Look at this. His first act as king is to take care of the temple. When you say yes to Jesus, he becomes king of your life. The first act he wants to do is to take care of the temple. He wants to rearrange the furniture. He wants to drive out things that have been just destroying you. He drives out shame. He drives out wounds. Man, if you're somebody who's been dealing with the same wound for the last 20 years, allow Jesus to be king of your life and see how he drives that out of your life. Oh, it's, Rachel and I, when we were, <laughs> when we were doing our pre-marrieds, uh, we're going to uh, be married eight years in a couple weeks, I believe. And uh, it's crazy, eight years. And um, uh, in our pre-marriage class, we learned this a title called The Power to Recuse. The Power to Recuse. And it was kind of a weird thing. I didn't understand. It was, I guess, a lawyer term. And so they started unpacking. This is a great tool for married couples. And basically what they said is, if there's somebody that you guys have in your life that is hurting your marriage, if it's even a parent, if it's an in-law, if it's an uncle, if it's a, somebody's best buddy, if it's whatever it is, your spouse can go to you and say, hey, I need to have the power to recuse this person from our life. They're stealing from our marriage. They're stealing from our joy. They're stealing from us. This person has to go. And I remember Rachel and I walking out of that pre-marriage going, woof, hold on a second. I'm going to give Rachel the authority in my life to say if one of my friends is hurting our marriage, he has to go. That if somebody in my family is hurting our marriage, Rachel's going to say he, he, they can't be around anymore. And Rachel first like, wow, like, so you're, and we had to like really process this. And we said, you know what? I'm committed to this. I'm committed to our marriage. And if anything comes in the way of this marriage, this covenant, man, we're going to kick it out real quick. Well, when Jesus comes in the temple, I want to ask you something. Have you given him the power to recuse? Have you given him the authority to say, this has to go? This has to be uh, removed from your temple. This has to leave your temple because it is hurting our relationship. Something I want you to catch real quick, and we're going to the next point, is I think a lot of us, man, that, that's one of the last steps of a mature believer. That's some high Christianity stuff. That's some high-level stuff. We're going, all right, Lord, anything you want to take, you can take. Anything you want to add, you can add. You're in charge. I'm not in charge. Now, let's look at the second point. Let's look at the second point. Second point is the return of the king, part two. So we have uh, the king's first act, and the second one is Jesus talking about the return of the king, part two. Now, what, is that, what do I mean by that? Now, if you look at Matthew 21, you'll see the triumphal entry. But then after uh, Matthew 21, what you'll see is Jesus, for his last week of his life, incessantly, all the time, all he talks about is his second coming. His second coming doesn't come on a donkey, by the way. He comes on a white horse, robe dipped in blood, king of kings, a name that we can't read yet, and then eyes of fire, a sword coming out of his mouth. It's going to be the battle of Megiddo or Megiddo, if you heard it. Uh, if you're a pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip person, uh, it happens during one of those moments. He comes, the sky opens, says the scroll. It almost rolls up like a scroll. There's going to be a trumpet noise. It's a whole different ballgame than just riding in on a donkey. So you're saying, hey, if you, liked, if you like this first part, you're going to love the second part. Now, I could read a lot of stories uh, about his second coming. Even if you just look at Matthew uh, today, after uh, you hear this message, after Matthew 21, you'll see this, uh, the great banquet. That's one of the stories about a second coming. He talks about the second coming is like a, a great party and invitations are sent out. You'll see different ways this is said. And invitations go out to people to come to this great banquet. And they come to this great banquet, but some people have excuses. Oh, I'm too busy. I gotta go uh, uh, inspect some land. I'm too busy. I just bought a cow. I'm too busy. I got married. Can I ask you, what, what's your excuse right now for not just giving God your all? What's your excuse to not actually saying, be king of my life? 
I, I found myself in seasons having excuses. Man, get rid of the excuses. That's one of his things. Another one he talks about is just the signs of the times. The day and the hour unknown. I, I wrote this down. I want to read it to you real quick. Everyone wants to find the day he's coming back. But his teaching was focused on the day finding us. Let me say it. I want to say it again a different way. We want to uh, uh, focus on finding the day. Oh, is he coming back May 27th, 2027? No, no, no. But Jesus says to be focused on the day finding you. All these stories are simply this. When the day does come, when Jesus does come back, how will you be living and who will you be living for? How will you be conducting yourself? Who will you be worshiping? Because uh, Matthew 24 is basically talking about two people in a field. There's a ton of different stories in this, but two people work in a field and one disappears. Man, when, when Jesus comes back, I want to know that I know that I know that I've been saved. You'll, you'll notice, too, there's always these connections. Jesus wants to, of course, design your temple, but also he wants to dress you in the temple. You'll see in the great banquet that the people that kicked out aren't wearing the right robe. They're not wearing the right robe. And the right robe is simply this. It's the robe of righteousness. You can't purchase it. You can't go get it anywhere. The only person you can get it from is Jesus. He died for it so you could wear it. That's how you, you get into the party. Matthew 25 shows us the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Basically, that, that five were foolish and didn't have enough oil. I don't know about you, but uh, the church today, man, we have enough talent. We have enough academics. We got a lot of enoughs. You know what we don't have enough of? Man, the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, we, we, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the breath of God. We need him leading. We need him restoring. People don't need another educational talk. They need, right now at your house, I pray that the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. When I prayed for my message, I prayed for the breath of God to come on my message. Because if there's no breath, if there's no unction, if there's no um, um, touch or hand of God on it, it does nothing. A, a talk's not going to save your life. The Spirit of God is what saves your life. And what he's saying in the end times, we're going to depend more on academics. We're going to depend more on our talent instead of actually depending on the Holy Spirit. And he said, how foolish is that? Another teaching he shows real quick is he shows the parable of the three servants. And all these, uh, the, the, the final judgment, I, I could go off on all these. The parable of the three servants is simply this. You're given responsibility. And when he comes back, did you steward that responsibility? And, and a lot of these I'll, I'll show you in Luke 12. Uh, they're going to ha- uh, talk about coming at night, coming when it's dark. And so some people will take it like, well, if it's coming at night, I got to pray all through the night. I'm not even allowed to sleep. Pause, rewind, stop. You like to pray at night, great for you. But the parables really show rhythmically uh, over and over again, the pattern is, is he's not just talking about nights, he's talking about night. He's saying that culture will make you want to fall asleep like it is nighttime. Culture is nighttime. All it's built to do is make you go to bed, make you fall asleep to your responsibilities. You don't, the, the three servants, parable of three servants, make sure when I come back that what I gave you, you actually stewarded well. Culture goes, man, don't even worry about your responsibilities. Live for yourself. And it has you fall asleep. I don't know about you, but have you fallen asleep a little bit? Have you fallen asleep to your responsibility? Have you fallen asleep about who dressed you? And isn't it interesting what you're dressed for uh, actually enables what you're going to do that day? Can you imagine if I was a cop and I showed up in a T-shirt and shorts, no gun, pulled you over? You're not dressed correctly. Can you imagine if uh, I went to the gym in a three-piece suit if I went to Orange Theory with my three-piece suit on and got on the treadmill, started running, and I'm talking a fitted one where I couldn't even like really bend over that well to, to, to work out. That would be weird, yes? Well, I think sometimes we forget, man, Jesus dressed you, and it should affect the way that you live your life. He dressed you in a robe. That should keep you awake. That should keep you rejuvenated. So I want to pick one story about uh, all these things he talked about over and over again this last week of his second coming, and I want us to uh, see a pearl from it. So it says, Luke 12, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps, what do you mean lamps burning? Literally a lamp, no, again, think of the parable, think about the big truth, short story, what Jesus is trying to teach. Uh, the lamps burning really is your passion, your life. It's another picture, over and over again, he's saying don't fall asleep and don't have your passion go away. 
Don't, don't become uh, lackadaisical about the things of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 5, 7. I'm going to pick up at uh, verse 6 instead here. Um, it says this. This is why I remind you. This is Paul to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Stop. Some of you need to hear this real quick. Man, I pray the Lord fans into flame hope this week. Because hope should get bigger right now and not get smaller. I pray that courage would get bigger this week. Fan it into flames. How do you fan it into flames? With prayer, with words of encouragement from other people that are believers, and of course the word of God. Of course through worship. And when I worship and when I read the word and when I'm around other believers, man, the flame that's in me, the, the belief that's in me, the, the hope, the faith, the joy, all those things, it gets bigger, it doesn't get smaller. But man, when I'm watching the news and I'm talking to the wrong people and I'm not praying a lot, man, it makes the flame really small. And, and it starts out with this very simple Luke 12, man, keep your lamps burning. Let's keep going. As though you're waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast, then you would be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they were, uh, sit, uh, sit and eat. He came in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Whew! If I could just tell you what Jesus was saying over and over again in his last week was this, get ready. Just get ready. Always, always, always prepare your heart. Always prepare your mind. Oh, just get ready. Wake up is another way to say it. This is what Jesus was saying. Don't fall asleep. Do not fall asleep to the, to the opportunity you have, the treasures before you in heaven. Do not fall asleep. Wake up. Some of you need to wake up a little bit. I need to wake up. Lord is reminding me of, uh, of how much uh, prayer has to be a part of my life. Not just after I've done reading my Bible, I read my Bible in the morning and then pray, but really for it to be a part of me. If not, I'm going to fall asleep. So it says, wake up. I want to conclude with this. This is one question. One, one question. Have you had a personal Palm Sunday? Have you had a personal Palm Sunday in your life? Not have you attended a service that talked about Palm Sunday, but have you had a Palm Sunday where literally Jesus became your king? Because a lot of us, we don't make Jesus our king. We make Jesus our Santa Claus. We make Jesus our convenient person that we call when we want to call. But when Jesus becomes king, it's a whole different level of surrender. It's a whole different level of authority in our life. Jesus becoming king of your life is this. He's the king of your offenses, so you got to forgive. He's the king of your schedule, so he's got to be a priority. When he rearranges your life, can I just tell you real quick? He's going to rearrange it that he is first in your life. You know when you know when somebody's really is saved? Just see how their life is arranged. See what their schedule looks like. See how they use their time, talents, and treasures. Because when somebody has used become king of their life, they become king of this temple, this is what's so powerful about it. You see a change. We're not into some uniformity, some moral strength. It's a supernatural change. People that weren't generous become generous. People who weren't kind become kind. People who had no confidence become confident because they knew who, who created them. This is an amazing thing. If you haven't had Jesus become your king yet, then I pray that he becomes your king, not just some uh, guy or Jesus is my homeboy, but he becomes king of your life. Second thing is this, what do you turn your temple into? Because if you had a Palm Sunday, Jesus came to your temple and looked at what is in your heart, is it what it's intended to be? Because it really became a marketplace. Do you know what a marketplace is? It's where you make deals. It's where you make exchanges. It's where it's transactional stuff. So even your prayers, your prayers sound like a transactional deal. If you give me this, I'll do this. God, if I get this, then I'll do this. God doesn't want a marketplace. He wants a son and a daughter to talk to his father. That's it. 
Now, we're temples. Jesus is the big temple. And this is what I love about Jesus, and we're going to talk about it next week, is that when Jesus came, the reason why he, had, he got rid of the sacrifices and the reason why he drove everything out and even he said, tear down the temple and I'll rebuild in three days is because he's the ultimate temple. He's the ultimate pay for the sacrifice so we can encounter God face to face. And secondly, he's the one that actually comes into our life and we can have a personal relationship with and have conversation with. Oh, what an amazing thing uh, that Jesus is and who he is. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.